Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about flowers. I'm joined by Kristin Gial, the author of Cultivated, The Elements of Floral Style, published by Princeton Architectural Press earlier this year. Kristin is a designer, writer, gardener and photographer, trained in horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Kew in London. She has an MFA in creative nonfiction and has worked as a columnist for a major garden website, amongst other things. Kristen's Instagram account is a feast for the eyes, and especially so for flower lovers. The account has almost 100,000 followers. Now, Cultivated, the Elements of Floral Style, is a book about floral design, full of beautiful photographs and advice for anyone who wants to get creative with cut flowers. It covers all aspects of floral design, including what plants to grow and arrange, the tools to use, how to use colour, contrast and form, lots of art history, and even how to take your photographs. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm going to start with a comment rather than a, a, a question. And I was thinking about it as I was looking at the book again uh, this morning. But the photographs are so beautiful, sometimes they look like oil paintings. Is that intentional? It is, uh, to a degree, yes. Uh, it's also the fact of my home and where I've photo chosen to photograph. And um, the Dutch floral still lifes have influenced my style but that's partly the lighting um, and the latitude that I live at that occasionally it is a low light situation for me I'm in British Columbia and um, I do bounce light around in different ways but I use natural light so I can see why you might feel that they look painterly right yeah four seasons in one day with British Columbia that's right all right. Um, okay. Is floral design different to flower arranging? This was, I almost put this question up on Twitter or Instagram when you sent it to me earlier. Um, but I did not because it's actually a fairly tricky question. And I think the reason why is that uh, there's a historical shift has happened. So floral arranging would be a more dated term and design would be a more progressive term, let's say. Um, both are the same, but floral arranging implies something smaller scale to me, whereas floral design can be undertaken at the level of an arbor or an art installation or, you know, moving towards environmental art and large scale pro projects, fashion shows, wherever people use flowers um, in a larger way. So most people refer to themselves as designers because they are not doing small scale floral arrangement. That said, there are um, clubs and garden clubs, and let's not forget um, the art of Ikebana and societies that focus on solely the art of floral arrangement, and there will be rules for those arrangements. What rules? Oh, they're, they, um, they, they'd be like guiding principles that they could 
judge within. So there is creativity in how the artist would express themselves, but they'd be like guidelines. For example, you know, you can use three three pieces of wood or or right. different okay. colors. I am not involved in that aspect of floral design. And that's competitive? It can be competitive, yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, the photography. Uh, the photography in your book and on your Instagram ac ac account is, is quite stunning. Um, how long does it take to put together a design and then photograph it? Um, you know, it's, it's quite fluid for me here because I use plants that I grow in my garden. And so the arrangement period is the shortest period. The photography takes longer. So the picking is one thing, the putting it together is not so difficult, but then the, um, photography is difficult because rather than arranging the flowers at that point, you're actually a, what you could say is arranging the light and light is harder to move around so the flowers will get repositioned when they're in front of the camera often and I speak to this in the book often um, one is able to see better by framing space so looking at the negative space around the arrangement for many of us that is e easier to do once we can see a picture of something in a way to see how it will be how it will look um you know i don't just make arrangements for photographs i also make them for clients and um, i will try and photograph some of those and i will advise the client or know in advance where the arrangement will be cited so uh, let's say it's for a bar or it's going in a hall then i know that the arrangement will be one-sided or I'm veering off from photography now, but it does dictate the shape um, significantly where you are placing the work, just like a, a frame a, hanging a, a piece of art on the wall. But once you've cut your flowers, the clock is ticking. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, a process called conditioning for many flowers that they they do like a rest prior to arranging that doesn't always happen for me but i've learned the the nuances of what can um go into an arrangement right away and what might change i think most people are familiar with tulips and how tulips are phototropic and they'll move around and and change over time they'll elongate and they'll start to flex and move in different ways, which is really interesting for creative work, but some flowers have a mind of their own. And I even will, for example, right now, we're speaking in June, the um, poppies are starting. And I, if I pick them when the bud is just cracking open, I can guarantee that they'll bloom then in the vase. Now, I, th I, I was wondering if you would plan a design on paper but it, it didn't seem to be the case. It seems that you no, no. I think let you know, the creative the, juices flow. Yeah, you can think about it in a way um, like cooking dinner, you know, or being a chef who's trying to build a menu. You you usually will work with whatever is most abundant, so abundant or at the peak of perfection. So in a fine restaurant, 
there's a season to everything and and certain foods will come you know and when they're perfect that's when you want to use them and that that's how that's how i've worked in floristry and um you know a wedding or an event where people want a certain flower and it's out of season brings up a whole range of environmental considerations and concerns and i choose not to work that way to import blooms you must get through a lot of flowers do you grow them all or do you also buy the majority of your flowers I, I, I grow most of them and occasionally will buy from other local uh, growers. And I, in part, began growing them because I couldn't access some of the really interesting flowers that I wanted. And so I began growing them. Now I have a background as a gardener and grew a lot of salad in the past and um, leafy greens which suit this climate here where it's cool and temperate and i have an excellent climate for growing flowers insofar as it's never too hot it's never too cold so i'm able to grow ranunculus um over the winter just in in small hoops and i am in an urban setting here so i have like what i'd call a micro flower farm now um I was interested to learn that you use a tool belt while you're building a, a floral design. Um, what tools do you have in your belt? Well, I'm, I do own a, a tool belt, but I also have holes in the back pocket, right back pocket of my jeans because my secateurs end up going in there. I, I, if I was being good and wearing my tool belt, I would have wire cutters in there. That would be for clipping um, poultry wire, and I would have a pair of snips in there, and um, that would really kind of be it. Um, doesn't take much; just some um, waterproof tape, and you're away. You away you go. So the chicken wire, the poultry wire, is a a key tool for. It structure. is a key tool, and I think this is interesting because there's been a strong response lately to floral foam. If you're familiar with that green foam that you I've find in that, flower yes. arrangements, yes, it's called, it's brand named Oasis in North America, and um, it doesn't biodegrade. It's another one of those things that they say, you know, is a plastic that sort of degrades but it actually just turns into a microplastic and so no one is using it anymore or hopefully most um, designers aren't using it anymore and there should be a consumer awareness campaign about it and what's happened for many of us the sort of nouveau floristry is we are um, using chicken wire which was advocated in the 1930s and 40s or actually before that by Gertrude Jekyll and you know the turn of the 19th century um, but they had also used twigs or the moss or you know other natural elements that um, would help hold stems in place so it's going back back in order to go forwards now right another question about terminology you write about vessels not vases or vases um, 
Do you have a large collection of vessels for your designs? I do, and I wish I had more, um, but one can only stock so many. I, I I refer to them as vessels because something as simple as a bowl, um, you know, can be used. And I think that the word vase t- refers more to a shape than it does um, to as as much to shape as it does to use. So vessels, you know, everything from buckets to glassware to pewter to silver to sugar bowls to teapots to soup terrines can be um, used for flowers. So I like the term vessel because it's far more inclusive and also gives people more, um, you know, license to be creative in terms of what they use and how they use it. Right. Now, in the book, you talk about um, a workshop or uh, a design session that you put on for the florists at Chatsworth, Chatsworth House in England. That's the, the home of the Duke of Devonshire. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, and the Chatsworth gardeners and um, house floral designers, in addition to the floral designers that have a shop, um, have some funding for education of their their staff their their staff. So, I was invited to um, come and teach uh, maybe a group of about 10, 10 people um, to just give a talk, and it was so fun in terms of the scale of the cutting garden. It was run by a woman called Becky Crowley at that time, and she was growing the most fashionable flowers of the day for use in the house. Um, Of course, part of the house is public and part of it the Duke still lives in. And then there's the farm shop where they sell bouquets. So there was a tremendous range of what was on offer. But beyond that, the gardens of the whole estate were open to me. So if I wanted to use any foliage or um, you know, pick some vines from some wilder areas of the of the landscape. And the landscape itself was um, designed by Capability Brown. So the scale of the landscape was magnificent. The only wrinkle in the great fantasy was the fact that I was not permitted to use any of the historical pieces in the house for the design because <laughs> right. I had some real fantasies of getting my hands on some kind of 17th century tulipier or something like that. Yeah, um, they must have had uh, quite the selection of vessels. Yes, vessels, yes, urns and yeah, I mean you can imagine. So I believe that um, you know there were there are some gold bowls as well, but um, that those the Chatsworth um, floral designers had used, <laughs> and I wasn't able to use those. But nevertheless, we did a I did a demonstration that and um, went out in a golf cart and was driven around to pick whatever I'd like, and then the flowers rested overnight, and then I returned in the morning to give a talk. And ended up making um, an urn full of roses and um, lilies. Uh, was just a, it was in early July, and the lilies were in bloom. And did this beautiful opalescent pinks and yellows, and um, just had a wonderful time. I think the thing was about 
four, four or five feet tall by the time we were finished. And so it became difficult to photograph. But a couple of floors held up a black plastic sheet behind the arrangement so that we could just kind of get a picture of it. And then later we moved the arrangement down to um, a a kind of a garden, not a garden folly, but a, um, a temple that had been built there in the um it moved next to the house in the middle of the 18th century and it was called flora's temple because there's a statue of flora and um it was just wonderful to put the final arrangement in a niche there for people the public then to enjoy right so did floral design originate in the in in britain um no um no i think it was uh, democratized um in britain and in the united states in the kind of interwar years i would say but no definitely not people have been arranging flowers for millennia you know whether we're back to as long as there's been flowers as long as there have been flowers some of those you know, early designs might have been as simple as a water lily in the bowl in Asian cultures or Egyptian cultures. Um, you know, it's it's as long as people have been around nature. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, the book, the book was published in March. Um, now, what impact has coronavirus had on, had on this project for you? Well, it's been really hard. Yeah, I'm still... Um, really struggling with it because you work for two or you know two years um, developing a book and then in my case developing a tour a book tour so my career consists of writing taking photographs but teaching is significant and speaking is significant so those two elements um, the speaking and teaching are where I make the most money obviously not by being a writer and so it's been really limiting. I was scheduled, I was in New York when the book, um, the week before the book published and I was teaching at the New York Botanic Garden and I was scheduled to fly to London um, where there would be a book party at the London Floral School and then I was to teach a workshop in France as well. And then beyond that in April, you know, to the East Coast of the United States for a fundraiser for Garden Club of America. And in Boston at the Athenaeum, the big library in Boston. So all of these events were completely, you know, canceled or postponed until 2021. And I don't know if the book will still be fresh. So it's been really sad for me, really, really sad. The only bright light around COVID has been um, the fact that one of my my publisher will be coming out with a puzzle in the fall. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I do hope you get a, a second bite of that cherry and do get a chance to travel and promote the book. I, it feels pretty timeless to me. I think it is. I, I I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. It's. I think that people's, you know feelings about travel may have changed so i have a workshop workshop a destination workshop scheduled for scotland where i've run a class 
uh, at an estate, uh, sort of the three-day, you know, for garden lovers and flower lovers, it's really quite general. But we do we do some floral design and um, tour a couple of gardens, and it's for horticultural fiends who want a country house feeling. And that's in October, and I still haven't canceled that yet, so I don't know when when I will be pushed to that edge, but it's my last one of this year, and I would love to hold on to it. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Um, now, you do indeed reference lots of books in, in, in your book. Um, I was interested to see that you, you referenced uh, our old friend Amy Stewart and... Uh, uh, what was a book? Flower Confidential? I can't remember now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've interviewed Amy. Um, now, so I'm interested to hear uh, what books or book are you currently reading? I am actually reading one that I did buy from Aid Books. Um, and I did not have this book when I wrote my own book, which I'm embarrassed to admit, but it's one of my favorite authors. It's Beverly, by Beverly Nichols, and it's called The Art of flower arrangement and very much in a similar way to me I have to say he compares um, design to music and pulls on the other fine arts painting in my book I speak to dance when I'm talking about gesture but we need other ways in order to discuss design and um, Beverly Nichols does a great job he's a favorite writer of mine but i familiar with more of his garden writing so that would be down the garden path mary hall a whole set of books that um came out originally in the 40s uh he's just a fun cheeky english gentleman writer and there's really no one else who has quite the sense of humor um in the in garden writing that i can think of maybe a canadian fellow called des kennedy but um Anyway, Beverly Nichols. So I'm reading that. And then tomorrow I'm actually speaking to a designer who's in Zimbabwe, but he lives in London and his name is Robbie Honey. So I have his book on my desk and it's called The Accidental Botanist. And it's some memoir about his childhood in Africa, but also interesting um, photography of um, deconstructions of different plants. So Many of them are tropical and obviously new to me, so I'm enjoying I'm enjoying um, being exposed to more exotic exotic flora through that. Right, lovely. Some good choices there. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, uh, that's all we have time for this week. Many thanks to Kristen Geel, author of Cultivated: The Elements of Floral Style. Thank you very much for having me, Richard. Lovely to chat with you today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Good luck with the book, and I do hope you get another chance to, to travel and promote. Thank you. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to the Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>